0: Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge, direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. On this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast, I have a chance to catch up with Isabella. Schmidt. Isabella is the director of regulatory affairs at Proxima Cro, and uh, she and I chat a little bit about product feedback and complaints and adverse events, and you know, sort of the, the relationship between these things, and get into some of you know decision trees and processes that are important for you to consider uh, within your company as far as soliciting and receiving feedback and what to do about it. So enjoy this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast. This is your host and founder at Greenlight Guru, John Spear. You know, I was looking back through topics we've talked about, we covered a lot of things on, you know, a lot of things regulatory, a lot of things quality, product development, and so on and so forth. And the guest joining me today is a somewhat familiar voice on the Global Medical Device Podcast. And joining me is Isabella Schmidt. Uh, Isabella is Director of Regulatory Affairs for Proxima Clinical Research. And she said, Why don't we talk a little bit about product feedback and complaints? I'm like, Oh, that's a great idea. So, Isabella, welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast.
1: Hey, thanks for having me back again.
0: Absolutely. So, product feedback, complaints, I guess, you know, maybe a good place to start with folks is, you know, high level overview of what is product feedback? What is a complaint? And, and then we'll get into some of the nuances and the details here in a few moments, but maybe uh, compare and contrast or give, you know, sort of a high level overview of, of feedback and complaints.
1: Sure. All right. So I guess first thing to say is that they're not, it's not really an optional thing post-market to do. Well, definitely not optional to do complaints. Semi-optional to do feedback. Although, you know, people have differing views on that, I'd say. I don't really think it's optional. FDA has asked for feedback in audits before, meaning things that are non-complaints, but definitely need to have complaints. So the difference between the two is complaints actually have a pretty Not a pretty strict definition, but there are certain aspects to complaints that a feedback would have to meet. So you would say something like identity, some, you know, the labeling is wrong, you got the device wrong, quality, uh, which is kind of a weird sort of catch all term um, that can include many different things and is a little bit product specific. So you know if you're unsure uh, of whether a feedback is a complaint but it feels like a complaint it may be able to be caught in that quality durability so that's usually if you receive the product damaged you know it could either be the actual device is damaged or the packaging is damaged so you receive a complaint along those lines reliability and effectiveness can be a little bit confusing because they seem kind of like the same thing. And so reliability is usually more over the use of the device. So the duration of use of the device hasn't been what was expected. So this is less for single use devices and more for devices that are used long-term. Whereas effectiveness is a little bit more used for the single use devices because they wouldn't, you know, kind of fall under reliability then. And then safety obviously is, you know, injuries, deaths, adverse events of that nature. And performance, which is is kind of along the lines of, you know, effectiveness is the device performing as, as you anticipated. And that's sort of the definition or the criteria for complaints per 21 CFR 820, which is FDA. Now ISO 13485 doesn't actually include effectiveness, but it's not something that you can just say, oh, my device wasn't effective. And so I, I'm not gonna include that as a complaint, you know, things like durability reliability usability which is included in ISO 13485 really hint towards effectiveness and so things like that would be caught under those you don't really need to classify these you know, as, oh, it's an identity-related complaint. It's a durability-related complaint. But understanding kind of what that means is helpful when you're determining whether or not something is a complaint. Feedback that isn't a complaint would be something like they're dissatisfied with something trivial like, oh, I don't really like the color of this device, or you sent me the wrong number of products, or we would like you in a future iteration of the device to make this, you know, adjustment that would just sort of improve the device, but isn't actually a problem. And then things like routine servicing. So if someone sent, if you have a product and someone sends it to you for regular servicing, that's part of what they're supposed to do. And even if you find a problem with it, part of as part of routine servicing, that isn't really qualified as a complaint. Now it might be something that you need to address with some sort of problem resolution, but it is not qualified as a complaint if it's part of routine servicing. Yeah. And so those are kind of the main differences.
0: Okay. I mean, and usually, um, well, I mean, not necessarily always, but typically, I mean, I, when I get a complaint, I probably know it's a complaint, right. but when you read the definition and, and, you know, I'm paraphrasing upon your explanation a little bit, but if you read the definition from like FDA of what a complaint is, you know, it's like, man, that could be just about anything. and. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of companies, they, um, they seem hesitant. They, they seem you know focused on capturing the complaint, but they seem hesitant on, on the bigger picture of feedback, which to me, I, I mean, complaints comparing com- and contrasting complaints with product feedback, I kind of look at it as a Venn diagram, but mm-hmm. complaints is completely contained within product feedback. So it is a type of right. product feedback, and I, I'll use air quotes, but it is a negative uh, type of feedback, so to speak. Doesn't have to re- result in any sort of injury or death or anything of that nature, but it's just it's it's generally uh, speaking more negative. And, and I think sometimes when companies are confused or challenged with whether or not they need to capture uh, product feedback, sometimes you don't know when you get that that first uh, bit of information as to whether or not it's just feedback or a complaint.
1: Right. Yeah. And I've seen companies that don't want to capture feedback. Um, And it's a little bit tricky too, because again, like to your point, how do you know if it's complaint or not, if you're not capturing all the feedback, unless it's always a qualified person who's getting the feedback, which is not always the case, the feedback can come to anybody, right? And so people really need to capture this feedback so that a qualified person who can determine whether or not it is a complaint can make that assessment, whether it needs to follow, you know, what would be your complaint handling SOP and and that procedure through investigation and and things like that, or if it's, you know, product feedback that can kind of, you know, stop there you document it and, and you keep it. But there's another reason that I think it's good to capture product feedback is that one, it's good for marketing purposes, right? So if people are giving you feedback, you know, hey, we think that this feature request would be nice or hey, we don't like the color for whatever reason, it's ugly, I don't know. You know, if you get so much of that, then maybe you wanna make a change for, for just marketability. But also if you're getting a lot of feedback of the same nature, it could be hinting towards something that maybe is actually a problem. You know, if it's, you know, we've talked about usability before, so maybe it's a color related thing, you know, and there are situations where colors can be indicative of things that are really important from a usability standpoint, like if you think about EpiPen, right? The orange cap. And so if someone's complaining, maybe there hasn't been an issue, but they don't like the color of the cap being different, that could hint towards something that could then later be a complaint. And so maybe it's something that you want to address on the front end and be a little bit proactive before it becomes an issue. Or it could trend as something, hey, you've had this feedback, and then suddenly there's this complaint with maybe the color of the cap, like someone got injured, and you you can say, oh, well, we've had multiple feedback that maybe it's, it's the color is an issue here. And so you can kind of Use that sort of traceability to to figure out the root cause of a a future complaint, and so that's another reason that I think it's good to capture the product feedback. And then product feedback doesn't always have to be negative; it could be positive. So if you capture product feedback that is positive, that's not really required for QMS purposes, right? But it is something good to have for marketability again. And so I'm always trying to look at like the bigger picture of things, and less just like, hey, what am I required to do to check this box? But like, what makes the most sense? Um, And I think capturing all of that does make a lot more sense. And, you know, ISO wants you to capture product feedback, but FDA, like I said, has also asked for your feedback that is not a complaint to just make sure that you're actually capturing that and that and the reason that they ask for that is to determine how are you determining whether or not something is a complaint. Because if you're not capturing all the feedback, you might be ignoring things that are actually complaints. And then that's where you can run into a little bit of trouble with FDA if, if you're ignoring things that that are a complaint. And people get warning letters and, and 483s for things like that so i would err on hey capture all feedback and and make sure that your people are adequately trained to capture all negative feedback because it could really come to anyone and you can't just ignore it but you know it should be pretty intuitive what negative feedback is, but just make sure that everybody knows they're supposed to capture that. And then anything that's a death or a serious injury should be like reported to the qualified people to determine that that's a complaint. So meaning quality regulatory um, or a complaint team ASAP because you might need to do a medical device report, which is something that you have to report to FDA in a pretty rapid time frame.
0: Wow, that's a lot. So um, <laughs> yeah, I didn't know uh, where to stop.
1: I was, like, when do I keep? Do I keep going? Should I explain what a 483 is? Should I, well, I just, right. <laughs> uh, well,
0: we'll get we'll get to some of that, I, I think, and uh, a little bit more depth here in a moment. But I think the key thing that from all of that is, you know, for those of you listening, you may say, "Eh, do I really need to capture every single piece of of product feedback that I get?" I mean the short answer is yeah you need to log it and I, I, in my opinion and I think Isabella would agree at the very least someone needs to make a determination you know is this a complaint or not if it's not a complaint then you know maybe you don't need to to take it further from a you know from a regulatory investigation per se but you know hear what Isabella is suggesting there might be some valuable insights that you gather from this feedback that you know you may want to feed to your marketing team or Maybe, you know, it it does lead to some sort of enhancement or improvement in in your product. I mean, maybe, you know, there is something important to glean from that. So, I think it really is important. Now, keep in mind, too, though, that, you know, generally speaking, especially like FDA, I mean, they're, uh, I'll say, hyper-focused at times on the complaint situation because, you know, remember that more or less FDA's role, CDRH's role, from a medical device perspective here in the United States is to protect and promote the health of U.S. citizens. So, you know, if, if you know, they're learning about or if there are complaints where people are getting potentially injured. I mean, that's gonna be a big deal from in the eyes of regulatory. So maybe elaborate a little bit on sort of that special use case still. So let's let's dissect that Venn diagram, product feedback within product feedback, there's complaints. Within complaints, there are adverse events. So speak a little bit about what those are and why that's important for, for companies to be hyper vigilant about.
1: Sure. So adverse events are um, the things that you would report in what's called a medical device report. It's usually, it's a form that you would submit to FDA. And there are certain criteria that you have to answer for that form, usually things that you would capture in your complaint form. You know, what device was it? Who was using the device? What happened? And what happened has to be a little bit more detailed than like, it didn't work. It has to be, you know, specifically how didn't it work? What, what ultimately caused whatever adverse event there is. And so an adverse event is something like an injury or a death. For medical device reports, it has to be a serious injury or a death. Um, and it has to be that it, your device has, may have caused or contributed to this serious injury or death. So you're not agreeing like, definitively that your device did cause a serious injury or death, but that it may have caused or contributed towards a serious injury or death. And so when that occurs, you need to file this form with FDA. If it is a death, you need to file the form within five days to FDA. If it's a serious injury, you have 30 days to file this form. And then subsequent to that, you usually need to do the same thing that you would do with most complaints, is um, if not all complaints, is do an investigation into the root cause and determine whether or not you need to do a kappa to make a change to the product and, or whatever the situation may be that, you know, we find out in the root cause to address this. And then you need to report that back to the FDA as well.
0: Well, and, and, you know, I guess we're, we're sort of kind of walking people through a mini decision tree of sorts. So I get feedback. I have to determine, okay, is this a complaint? Yes or no. Complaint. Is this an adverse event? Yes or no. So, you know, and, and, you know, I've been in plenty of audits where You know the the auditor or the FDA and investigator they they wanted to know more than just is this a complaint or not? They wanted me to justify to them why it was not an adverse event So I think it's really important when people are, are assessing this feedback They're getting that they're documenting their rationale and their decision as to why they they decided what they did, you know, and so yeah, you know, and and I think another key point with respect to the adverse event side of things is you know the time is ticking, and the time is ticking from the moment that you find out. So can you maybe elaborate a little bit on that?
1: Sure. The FDA uses the term I think, become aware. And so when you become aware, it's when any of your employees, so it doesn't have to be you know the QA person or the regulatory person. It's when any, person um, from the sponsor company becomes aware of a reportable event. So the events, you know, that we discussed one that caused or contributed to a serious injury or death. And so after you become aware of that, you have 30 days, as I mentioned, for anything that isn't a death, But for deaths, it needs to be reported within five workdays. And there are also special situations where FDA can require a shorter time frame as well. You know, they can request that. And it may be for something. um, Maybe you've had a reportable event already, you know, that this device may have caused or contributed to a serious injury. Um, So not a death. And FDA, you know, was alarmed by that and said, should you find any more of these events, please report it to us, you know, within a shorter time frame, which is usually that five days again. Um, And so that may be a situation where they can request you to submit it a a bit sooner. And really, as John mentioned, the clock starts ticking as soon as anyone quote unquote becomes aware. So anybody at the manufacturer or sponsor company finds out that this event occurred and so you could find out um, you know a a user facility could submit um a a, you know a form to the manufacturer company so the user facilities often report these um because they're the ones using the device um to the manufacturer but they can also report it to the fda um, voluntarily And so, there is a bit of a responsibility for the manufacturer to check over the MOD and MedSun databases, which are the databases for reporting these events, um, to make sure that none of these sort of events have occurred that wasn't directly reported to the manufacturer. And so, if you do see um, on the MOD or MedSun database that something has occurred, then you have then become aware of that event. And you can't just ignore it (laughs) and not check those databases because ultimately, if it if you've had a death or serious injury caused by your event, that's something that you'll need to address. Otherwise, it can come back and bite you in the future in the form of a warning letter. Um, or worse, I, I guess they could um, tell you to pause distribution um, or a recall could occur. So you want to know these things as soon as they occur.
0: Folks, I want to r- remind you I'm talking with Isabella Schmidt. Isabella is the Director of Regulatory Affairs for Pro- Proxima Clinical Research I highly encourage you to learn more about Proxima Clinical Research by visiting ProximaCRO.com, and that's P-R-O-X-I-M-A-C-R-O.com. Uh, Proxima helps companies with regulatory consulting, quality management system, uh, regulatory strategy, clinical trials-related uh, uh, services. So, you know, a really great firm that you definitely want to have in your corner has a ton of expertise, not only with, uh, you know, quality and regulatory and and that sort of thing, but, you know, knowledgeable about global uh, regulatory matters. So not just FDA, UMDR, they're uh, really helpful and, and a great resource. So again, go to proximacro.com to learn more. Uh, while we're talking about product feedback and complaints, let me remind you, too, that Greenlight Guru, we're here to help. Greenlight Guru, we have workflows to help you document that product feedback and log those complaints and adverse events and, and conduct a proper investigation. So if you'd like to learn more about how the Greenlight Guru workflows can assist you with your product feedback and complaint workflows, well, then go to www.greenlight.guru to learn more. So. Isabella, I mean, I don't mean I don't really want to scare people, but it is important, you know. And and you you talked a little bit about you know this, these are this is something you have to be proactive about. And you know, a lot of times I think, um, unfortunately, the way companies uh, typically approach product feedback and complaints is they sort of you know sit back and wait for it to happen. They're they're sort of reacting after the fact. So, do you have any? Suggestions or tips and pointers. I mean you you talked about, you know, companies should be going to mod and, and other databases mm-hmm. to, to uh, on a more proactive nature, but any other tips and pointers for companies rather than just sitting back and, and waiting for something?
1: Yeah. Um, you can do, uh, other methods of direct feedback as well. So you can send out customer surveys. Now, as everybody knows, the response rate to customer surveys is usually pretty low unless people are super thrilled or disappointed. And so, um, you probably wouldn't receive some complaints maybe if you sent out customer surveys, um, because they'll likely want to fuss if they haven't already. Um, so you can do things like that. Obviously, um, You know, and then there are other places that you can look for information, um, that are indirect as well. So like social media, you know, in, in the drug world, they're actually pretty much required to, to do these things, um, as well. Um, and so you can check social media forums, things like that to see if people are, um, making any, you know, fuss in in those places. Um, and so, you just be proactive on the web. It's really easy to, to check these things. Um, and then obviously, if anybody sees it, document that feedback. Um, and then, you know, this is, I guess, you know, something coming to someone. But um, when we were still going to trade shows before COVID, um, people can sometimes, you know, come up to companies and, um, you know, just the people who are at the booth. Uh, and make a com- a complaint or some form of feedback to them at that booth. And if it is negative, it should really be documented um on the spot there as well. And so that's a little bit of it coming to them. but it is not always taken as something that people pay attention to, and um, that type of feedback that's sort of offhand. Um, you know, oral feedback at trade shows rather than some sort of like, you know, documented email or written letter or, or something like that. And so it's important to just make sure that people are aware that any feedback that comes to them um, is feedback. And if it's negative, it should definitely be reported so that someone um, with the appropriate training can determine whether or not that's a complaint and thereby determine whether or not that's a reportable event if it is, again, you know, a death or a serious injury.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll chime in there for a moment too. I, that last little bit, I, I you've mentioned you know variants of that a couple times in our, in our conversation today, and and I th- I think it's worth like highlighting this a little bit more. I mean, folks realize that, and, and this is sort of an internal training um, um, challenge, I think, within your companies. Um, you know, like trade shows. Uh, you know, a lot of times people who are at trade shows they may be getting feedback, whether or not it's a complaint or not, that's not probably their area of domain to make that determination. So they need to, to log all that feedback and make sure that the right people within the company, uh, get that feedback. So that, you know, if it's a complaint or whatever the case may be, that, that the, the appropriate, uh, investigation is being conducted. Another, uh, area of challenge for companies is, you know, a lot of, some products, um, you know, the, uh, there might be a sales engineer or somebody who's, you know, at point of use or during present during the procedure and things like that. Um, those are often other, uh, opportunities or situations where there's, you know, this product feedback coming, um, to the person. And sometimes it may not even be stated, right? Like the, 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 the field rep may see or observe something uh, that wasn't commented about or, or that sort of thing well those are important things to capture too uh, but just make sure you're training your your all of your staff to know like the phone rings if they get a piece of mail if they're at a trade show if they're uh, you know and a procedure that those are all situations where product feedback and you know potentially complaints could be received and they have to know what to do with those if and when that comes up
1: Right, and and that goes into um again like the you know management buy-in of you know quality <laughs> efforts in general um, because ultimately this is a management you know decision who gets trained and really you can't train too many people on this right um, because anybody that is a part of the company could receive this feedback and if it is an MDR anybody receives it you've become aware and then your time clock starts ticking. Um, And so you want to make sure that everybody is um, trained enough to know that when they receive some form of feedback, that they should really um, be giving it to the appropriate uh, folks to determine whether or not it is a complaint. Um, And and so that's, can't highlight that enough.
0: Yeah, for sure. So, all right. So, you know, we get the feedback, whether, you know, hopefully we're being proactive. um, We determine it's a complaint. I mean, there's there's certain things that are expected of me at the, at this point in time too. You know, regardless if it's the adverse event variety or the quote normal complaint variety, what should I be doing um, to to document uh, yeah, what's so next?
1: Usually, um, what will happen is um, there's a complaint form, and like I said, it'll look pretty similar in a lot of ways to the medical device reporting form that FDA actually has on their website. Um, But it'll, you know, you'll capture information like um, who's reporting this, uh, what product is it, lot number, batch number, things like that, so that you can identify the device. Um, And then what specifically occurred. Um, And then I say specifically too, because like I said earlier, you can't just have this very general statement of like, oh, it doesn't work or oh, it sucks. Um, It needs to be more specific than that. So when you're getting the feedback, from whoever is reporting it to you, um, you want to make sure that you get as much information from them as possible. Then after you have that information, what you'll want to do is likely conduct an investigation. And your investigation, um, you'll have a plan um, that you you start working out to figure out what was the root cause of this complaint. So what happened, um, what failed, what malfunctioned, Um, and, and determine then whether or not you need to, you know, make a change to, to some element of the device, um, to fix that, um, in order to do this in, in many cases, especially if there's a malfunction, um, you'll probably try to get the product sent back to you. And, um, sometimes it is sent back and sometimes it isn't. And so that's one of the challenges, um, sometimes with investigations is that the user facility isn't really sending you the, the product back. Um, and so it it becomes challenging to conduct your investigation and you want to make sure that if that happens and you can't really fulfill the obligations of your investigation plan, that you document that as well, that that wasn't, that that's why, you know, the investigation was not completed, or that's why a root cause wasn't found, um, uh, and so, you just make sure you know, as usual, documentation, documentation, documentation. And then, one thing I forgot to touch upon was usually when you have these complaints coming in, we're talking about you know qualified personnel. I keep saying that it's usually people are trained or dedicated towards you know addressing complaints. So you may have someone who coordinates the complaints on your team. You know, so you may have a, a group of people who are designated as a complaint team. And so, for the the life of that complaint. Um, um, they will follow through with the investigation. Um, they may have periodic meetings to determine, you know, where we are with this investigation with the complaint. Um, and so you want again, you know, have people who are trained in the, the area of complaints, and they may need to pull in people from other departments um, to do some of this investigation work. You know, for example, if there's a malfunction, you may need to pull in someone from engineering to really execute on that investigation. And so you just, you know you'll likely get a, a team of people together to address any specific areas um, that that need to be addressed in order to figure out exactly what happened
0: Wow this is a a lot of valuable information uh, as far as what to do uh, the other thing that I, th- I think is really important is to um, analyze you know, potential trends as well um, you know you may get a complaint or you know a piece of feedback we'll we'll just keep it general right now but you might get a piece of feedback and you know if it's the first time you heard that then you know determine you know what sort of investigation you need to do for that particular bit of feedback but if this becomes sort of a recurring theme you know a trend of sorts you know this might be a bigger picture issue you might you might need to do a a more in-depth investigation maybe you need to to uh, issue a a kappa, you know, because this is identifying some sort of systemic issue. But I think the key thing, regardless, is to be very methodical about this. Um, You know, have, you know, it it really is a decision tree. There are points in time through this when you get the feedback. You know, is is it just feedback? Is it a complaint? Okay, if it's a complaint, was someone injured? Did they have the potential to get injured? Okay, is it an adverse event? And you go down this path, but... I think that that's just really important for people to to appreciate the process. The um, the other tip that I would offer is the person who is receiving that initial bit of feedback. That is the the best time to get as much information as you possibly can. Um, I, I know personally, I um, I recall a couple of cases where uh, the feedback came in through you know another channel. It was handed to me. I needed to make a determination on whether or not this was a complaint or even an adverse event. And I started asking questions like, well, what about this? What about this? And and the person giving me this information, they they didn't know. They, they weren't, they didn't, they didn't ask the, the, that on the initial uh, query that came in. And, you know, now I, I had to go try to track this person down who called us and, I never got a hold of them, you know? So any suggestions on what people can do in those scenarios?
1: Yeah, so there is a method for determining the root cause. And so this is something that people would probably do, maybe as part of an investigation but it's something that people can do on the front end when they're gathering that information. And it's called the five W's, which is pretty obvious, who, what, where, when, why. And so if when people are receiving feedback, if they can ask those questions um, to get a full picture of the story of what happened, um, I think that that um, will facilitate in the investigation in in the later stages. Um, And then usually if, if you don't have enough information um you try to reach out to this individual who reported it again so you really need you know information on the individual reporting as well you know contact information who they are so that when you're investigating this complaint you can reach out Um, usually you, you don't want to just reach out once and be like, Oh, I reached out and I'm done. Um, you want to reach out multiple times, usually as with everything, the magic number is three. Um, and so you reach out at least three times, but obviously not like three times in one day within reason, you know, um, don't call them during their lunch break three times in a row, um, and say that you've done your part. Um, you want to reach out at, at intervals. Um, and then sometimes, you know, for really significant, um, complaints and um, medical device reporting events when you're reached out to them and you can't get in touch with them, you may want to send something like a certified letter to them just to show that you've done your due diligence and trying to figure out as much information as possible um, on the event that occurred. Um, but but that that's the way, um, I guess, in a, you know, in sum of, of gaining some of that, some of that information from the reporter, um, you know, five W's, um, and then you may be able to add in an H, you know, how in there. Um, and then, uh, you know, reach out, make sure that ever, that you have the information of the person reporting and that you can reach out to them subsequent to that.
0: All right. So folks, again, person receiving this feedback, remember the five W's, who, what, when, where, why, maybe throw in the how if you can get that. But my my tip to you is you cannot get enough information on that initial conversation on on the feedback that you're receiving. So get as much as you possibly can. Uh, It'll help, you know, everyone involved at your company uh, who evaluates and determines whether or not something needs to be investigated further. It's going to help them immensely to have all of that information. Um, so just make that part of your standard practice. And, and again, to reiterate something we talked about already, this is a training activity within your company. Make sure that people who are going to be going to trade shows or answering the phone or, or what have you, they understand, get this information. You know, probably should be in a procedure. Uh, certainly should be something that you're showing, uh, you know, effectiveness of your training. So these are all very important things. And certainly if you need some help, Defining your processes and your procedures and best practices around this, I would encourage you to reach out to uh, Isabella Schmidt and the Proxima CRO team. Uh, they have a lot of expertise in this area. Uh, so, you know, I would encourage you to, to, to you know, give them a call, uh, you know, fill out their contact form on their website, proximacro.com. Isabella, this has been uh, very insightful, so thank you so much for spending some time to chat with uh, me about product feedback and complaints.
1: Of course. I enjoyed it as usual. It's been a while.
0: (laughs) It's been a while. So, (laughs) folks, thank you so much uh, for continuing to, to be loyal listeners of the Global Medical Device Podcast. It's because of you that the Global Medical Device Podcast remains the number one podcast in the medical device industry. So, you know, we're pumping out uh, new, fresh new episodes, you know, at least every week, sometimes a little bit more frequently than that. So, you know, we're we're marching towards 200 episodes. Uh, I'll have to figure out when that's going to be. But probably the, the early part of 2021 will be passing the 200 episode mark. So thank you all so much for, you know, continuing to spread the word about the Global Medical Device Podcast. As always, this is your host and founder at Greenlight Guru, John Spear, and you have been listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast.